Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today in studio, we have our first music publisher on the show, Chad Segura. He is going to share some wisdom on what it takes to have a lasting career as a songwriter and how to get your start as a songwriter, how to get your first publishing deal. He talks about the issues in the industry of today of payment and compensation for streaming. That's a big issue nowadays, and it's been something that's been changing over the last five years. So we dive into that a little bit. He talks about how he first got into the industry, and I think his story is going to shed a lot of light on some things for a lot of you songwriters out there. So don't miss this one. Listen all the way to the end. Tons of good stuff in here. And we are excited to announce that Music Makers Boot Camp is already sold out. Our very first ever live event we're doing this August 26th to 28th in Franklin, Tennessee, sold out very quick. Every VIP slot sold out as well. So what we're doing now because we had no idea of the demand that there would be for this type of event, we have opened up a waiting list because we want to know, hey, how many of you are out there who wished you could have got into this event? So what you can do is you go to fullcirclegoeslive.com, same website, fullcirclegoeslive.com, put in your info, and we'll put you on the waiting list. We are going to be doing another follow-up event that's going to be powerful. So we'll let you know, and you're going to get first dibs on tickets. You're going to get first dibs on access to VIPs. You're going to get first dibs on priority signups at the event. So that's Music Makers Boot Camp. Get on the waiting list. Go to fullcirclegoeslive.com. And let's dive into the interview. We're here in the house with Chad Segura, Full Circle Music Show, music publisher, 20-year music industry veteran, all-around awesome person, great dad. Thank you so much for being in here today. Man, thanks for having me. For being 20 years in the music business, you just hit your 20-year mark this past March, right? Yes, I did. And it hasn't taken its toll on you. You still, you still look good. You look, you look full of life. Thank you, my friend. Um, yeah, I, I hope. Uh, some days I feel more full of life than others, but uh, man, I'm still having fun. So I, I yeah. think that's part of it. That's it, man. So let's, let's just jump straight into your story. I, I'd love just to hear, how did you first get into music? When did you know that you wanted to have a career in it? Man, um, well, first let me turn off my phone here. Hey, this is, <laughs> is kind of off the cuff. We're, we're hanging out here in my studio, which happens to be in my house. Yes. As a lot of our listeners maybe don't realize, that's how kind of the industry this runs This is now. real it's, life, yes. It's, yes it's right not here. everything is super official. We have cell phones going off. We have... <laughs> It's, it's just life, so... That's right, that's right. Um, well, man, I mean, I've been a, a music fan, a music lover since I was a kid. Um, loved to sing, um, got attention doing that, and so somewhere along the line, I was like, hey, I, I, I want to do this. This will be the thing. And so growing up, uh, you know, found opportunities to sing, playing with friends, doing other things, and... Uh, so yeah, so that was the thought. You know, the thought was, hey, I'm being, I'm gonna be an artist someday. You know, and uh, um, luckily, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that because of that love for it, and it, and it caused me to you know press in and I wanted to figure out, okay, what does that look like? And for me, my my journey, you know, I I I was a, I went to college, um, but I I was a music major, and and realized about well. I, a little ways into it, I realized, hey, yeah, I don't really want to teach music, 
And that's pretty much what this degree is going to do for me. So I was trying to figure that out. Then I found out about a school here in Nashville called Belmont. I grew up in Oregon, um, so long ways away. But I uh, heard about the school and found out that they had a commercial music program. So I tried out for that, got accepted as a vocal performance major, came here. And my first weekend when we were doing all the testing for where where you're supposed to go and, you know, are you going to be, you know, where should you be in ear training and theory and all these things? I realized, oh yeah, I forgot. I hate this. I hate all of, <laughs> I hate all of this. This takes all of the joy out of music for me. And around me, there were people that loved it that I could tell they just were like eating it up. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm in Tennessee. I'm 2,500 miles from where I, where I grew up. So I go to the, uh, my advisor and she said, you're in luck. We have this program here called music business and you can get a business degree and you can learn about music and, you know, it's the best of both worlds. And I was like, sign me up. So I switched in my orientation week to music business. And as part of that, I, uh, a year or so into that, I started interning. And in, interning was probably the best part for me of college. College is great. I'm super grateful for it. It is not the only way <laughs> to, to do things. Especially grateful, though, for my internships as part of that. And uh, Who'd you intern with? I, I interned, well, at two different places. I interned at Sparrow Records. And then I interned at a publishing company as well. And oh, they shall remain nameless. Um, yeah. But, but uh, so I did both. And one was really good. One really sucked. And you can guess, you know, which one of those was what. <laughs> um, but uh, and it wasn't anybody's fault necessarily. It was just a horrible internship. Nothing that I thought I had taken a publishing class. And I thought, man, that's awesome. My professor is a guy named James Isaac Elliott. He's a writer, and he had songs on Stephen Curtis Chapman's records and all these things, and I was like, man, that's awesome. And as he'd talk about it, I thought, that sounds like an amazing thing. I got to get an internship doing that. James was your professor at Belmont. He was, yes. That's amazing. Yep. I, I met James two years ago on the Percy Warner golf course. Sweet. <laughs> and I didn't even know he was a songwriter. Yes. He didn't know I was a songwriter. He was just like, hey, I was with, um, I'm trying to think who I was with at the time. Uh, actually, music music industry guy Alan Salmon. Okay, yeah, we're like out there playing golf. He's like, "Hey, can I join you guys?" And then halfway into the game, yeah, he's like, "Oh yeah, I teach at Belmont." I was like, "What do you teach?" And he's like, oh, "I you know teach songwriting." And uh, I was like, "Oh really? I'm a, I'm a songwriter." Like I always assume just because it's like never assume that people know who you are or right. what you do or what artists you work with because I never know if people are Christian music fans or whatever. And he's like, "Yeah, oh, yeah. I, you know, I've had some songs with this artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman and you know Jenny Owens and." Yep. On and on. I was like, okay. Yep. Yep. I, know who I love is. it. I, and I and when I run into him at stuff, I still you know he he's the guy. And I, you know I can I either thank him or blame him. I guess for <laughs> for this sickness. But uh, yeah, he's awesome as you know. Yeah, um, oh yeah. And uh, so yeah, I thought it was gonna be great. And my publishing internship was such a letdown that I was like, nope. But at Sparrow, in the marketing team, I was like, man, I, they were including me and stuff. I was going on business lunches, and I was part of presentations, and I was putting together stuff for them, and it was exciting. When I got out of school, they, uh, they offered me a job not long after. It was, it was, it was great. I, I quickly, I think one of the best things I learned in, in just, and one thing I guess I would share would be you, you learn so much of, you've learned as much about what you don't want to do as what you do wow. want to do. When you start taking your first jobs, just take a job. I took a job. They said, hey, the position we've got open is in publicity. Do you know anything about that? Nope, but, <laughs> but, but sign me up. Let me, let me see what I'll do. And what I quickly learned is there are people that are freaking brilliant publicists. I am not one of them, nor do I have even the desire to. 
you know, to do that or to be that. But it was great. And I did it and I worked hard and I tried to, you know, be a good assistant to the publicists on the team. But it wore me out. About, gosh, maybe a year and maybe not even quite that into that, my boss got promoted over to, to heading up all of the marketing. And she said, hey, you can either come with me or you can stay here. And I did play it kind of coy. I was like, oh, let me think about it and, you know, pray about it overnight or whatever and let you know, even though I really would have actually like sprinted to that new job. But uh, I came back the next day and said, yeah, I'll go with you. So I went to marketing. Loved, loved that more. I, I liked that more. Love is a strong word. Once again, <laughs> I saw other people that were, that were great. But it was so cool because I got to start meeting managers and working with artists more hands-on and just phenomenal people. You know, it was, it was an amazing learning time for me. Mm-hmm. That was really college yeah. 2.0 uh, for me. And so I did that. But even so, I wanted my hands more on music. Yeah. And so about two years into that label cycle, I got itchy and I was like man there are people all around me that are brilliant at this because they're passionate about it I want to find what I'm passionate about Mm. and so for me that kind of got my got me on my search and I at that time I realized in order to get hands-on with music I figure I need to either be in the A&R team of of a label or maybe in the creative side of publishing and there was nothing for A&R thankfully I, I say at this point in time there were no opportunities at that time but a new position was created in publishing and that kind of set me on my way. Incredible. So it was sort of something that was even out of your hands that got you into the whole thing as a music publisher. Yeah. And you've been doing that for 20 years. So maybe for our our listeners out there who aren't even familiar with what a music publisher is or does, can you kind of just explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So let's see, I guess, I guess 18 years now as a, as a music publisher, I started right about that time. And then those two, uh, prior marketing years where I can say, yeah, I was a label guy for a minute, but uh, a publisher. I really, as I kind of describe it, it's one of the enigmatic areas of the music business. It's always funny. People that I work with all the time, you know, and and have known for years, they're still always like, you know, publishing, that's always kind of mysterious to me. Really, it's not that mysterious. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of details, but for the most part, it's really just everything songs. You know, uh, for us, it all starts with a song. We talk about that, obviously. We say that it all starts with a song, not just in publishing, but it just in the music business in sure. general. But for us, it really is. That's, that is the backbone. So publishing is all about helping to identify those songs, helping to nurture those songs, whether that's signing writers or artists that are going to write them, and then figure out how to then propel those songs out there to the masses in various forms. Sometimes it's something as... As easy as, hey, great, I heard a great song, we sign it, we, we sign a single song publishing agreement with that song, and then we go, we send it to somebody, we pitch it uh, to somebody, and they say, yeah, we love it, let's record it, and we'll put it on our record, and we'll put it out, and it's a big old hit. Great. Those are always the best scenarios. They're kind of few and far between, and the business has actually even changed a lot. You know, back in when I first started, it was a lot about that. It was a lot about, hey, here's a song, artist, you should record it, great, there we go. Now it's become much more collaborative as the business has changed, as the economics have changed. Artists are much more, it's amazing that how, how much more they want to be involved in writing. <laughs> well, you're not just, it's, it's not like you're pitching a song yeah. to, an, right. to an artist or an A&R right. person anymore. That's it. That's it. It's a, so it's a, it's a totally different kind of scenario. So basically for publishing is 
all things songs. So it's about dealing with the details of them. It's about making sure that they're registered, you know, with uh, with the copyright office, making sure that if people want to use them, that they license them properly and that there's payment involved. Basically, publishing exists in two halves. It, there's the creative half, which is all about working with the writer, working with the artist, finding the song, nurturing the, the you know, the, the relationships and nurturing relationships with A&R people and producers and, and, and other writers and artists and, and doing all the things that, and then finding outlets for those songs, whether that's pitching it to those, those people that I mentioned to labels, whether it's trying to find um, outlets in film and TV, whether it's working them, you know, to the church for CCLI revenue and things like that. You know, it's all those kinds of things. And so that's the creative half. Then the other half is the administrative half. And that's the part that I like to refer to as the part that keeps this from being a hobby. You know, that's, that's the part where it's like, we've got creative, we're doing all these good things, fun stuff, but it is literally a hobby unless we can monetize these things. And so the admin side of things is the people that, that track stuff, make sure it's registered properly, make sure that the performing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC are, are paying as they should be, are aware of them, making sure that things are being tracked by CCLI, all those things. And then the people, when people are using songs, that they're actually paying for them. So we've talked a little bit about what music publishing is. What do you think it is about you that's given you such a lasting role, lasting career in your role? Because to be doing kind of just that one thing for 20 years, I mean, you've got to, number one, love it. Yeah. But number two, you've got to be doing something right. So what, what, what's the secret? What's the secret sauce? Man. <laughs> If I knew, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a secret sauce. I would bottle it if I could. But uh, man, I don't know. I just, I think I just stay in there and keep swinging. You know, I love it. I do love it. I'm passionate about it. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I've had times over the years where I thought, man, this music business, this is hard. <laughs> it's not, it's not an easy thing. And I, and most of the time I'm, I'm really optimistic about that. And, but there are times when I'm like, oh, this is tiring. I wonder what else I would do, could do. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of things I could probably do, but man, this is just what gets me going. When I start feeling that way, inevitably somebody will send in a song. You'll send in something or somebody will send in a song and I'll just be like, oh my gosh, I forgot how much I love this. This is why I do this. And so, you know, I think I have passion for it. I've had the great honor of getting to work with a lot of phenomenal people um, uh, over the years, yourself included. And, uh, and that's just one of those things where it's like, you know, when you get to work with amazing talent, our jobs are not easy. There's a lot to do, but it makes it at least fun. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. So for a while, you kind of even went off and had your own venture called Meld Music. You started your own publishing company. I did. And I did. you've been at Sparrow Records, at Word, uh, Provident even? Nope, no Provident. No Provident? That's the, that's the okay. one uh, of the three uh, quote-unquote majors that I have not. But you've, uh, you've been in yeah. the major system, yeah. and, and you're now at Centricity. <laughs> yeah. You also did your own thing for a while. Yeah. What was the impetus to go that way? Man, well, I mean, I'd love to say that it was this uh, you know massive light bulb uh, experience, but it was really, honestly, God, God guiding and 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 leading me because back to what I was just mentioning about the idea of maybe doing something else, I had come to the end of a stretch. I spent uh, like nine and a half years at EMI, which is capital now, and then. Uh, Spent a little over seven at Word. I stepped right from one to the next, loved it. But I was realizing I, I was coming up on 17 years of just doing corporate music business, which I loved, 
there there are phenomenal things about the corporate world. I, you know, I'm always quick to say amazing things. Just just with every situation, there's always you know pros and cons. I was a little tired of just the big corporateness of it, and so I was kind of winding down. And it was an interesting time. I didn't, you know, it was the first time that I didn't re-up my contract at Word. I just, I was just trying to figure out what, what is this going to be? I was still, you know, still happy there, still enjoying, you know, things, but just trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, and then God uh, helped make that decision for me uh, because uh, all of a sudden we had a little fun corporate restructuring and they moved, they put print and, and publishing, which may sound like the same thing. They couldn't be any more different. They put them together into one team and brought someone in from the outside to, uh, to who had run both, both kinds of companies. And, uh, the two heads of those divisions, uh, found themselves, uh, without a chair, I guess in the, uh, but all that said, I, I, I took it as a, as a good thing. I was like, man, I've seen far better men and women than me, you know, find themselves in this spot where, Hey, your position is, no longer exists. But I really thought, man, it's been 17 years. This is great. It was my moment to peace out, you know, of the music business. But then a fellow named uh, Jeff Mosley uh, reached out to me right away. He's been another guest on this yes. show. And, and uh, no so, relation to me, right? No, no relation. Not not <laughs> not Seth's uncle, well. as he said. But uh, yeah, um, just a phenomenal guy. Uh, one of my favorites. And uh, he reached out to me. Just. Well, wanted to sit down and talk, and and basically he in, over the course of a breakfast he basically just said, hey, if you want to start your own thing, I'd I'd be interested in in talking about that and helping you out with that. Mm. And I was like, oh, that was not on my radar at all. And so you you had in no <laughs> way put that out. No, there. no, no. So it was not. But you know, I was having various different conversations about different scenarios um, with people, but that one kind of was looming. And he was great because he he would check in with me. You know, over the course of the next few weeks, he'd say, hey. Let's, you know, you want to sit down and talk about that? Let's, let's maybe brainstorm a little bit about that, what that might look like. And it really got the wheels turning for me. And I was like, man, this is not something I had endeavored to do. And I really did think, like I said, that it was going to be my chance to go do something else, <laughs> you know? And, and I was, I was going to be fine with that. But once again, the, the combination got definitely used Jeff. And then various people started sending me music going, hey, what do you think of this? And, what's, and just once again, back to that spot where I'd go, oh, I forgot. That's why I love this. And so Meld was kind of born as a, uh, part of it was a co-venture with Jeff. The publishing part of it was a co-venture with Jeff and Fairtrade, his company. And then also Meld had other parts to it. I was doing consulting for some other labels and, and publishers and, and some artists and just a lot of different things. And man, it was such a great season for me. I needed that. It kind of reinvigorated me, got me excited about music again, got me to remember why, oh yeah, why I do this. And honestly, it was just starting. I was a little over the two-year mark, and I was like, yeah, we're picking up some momentum, and we got some singles going on and some things happening. It was exciting. And then my friends at Centricity <laughs> reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in talking to us about this? And I really felt like, man, you know, I think I'm supposed to be doing this because I'm doing this. It was, you know, this is fun, and I've been working my tail off, and I, I want to see this come to fruition. But man, the more we talked, the more we got into it, it was like, it became clear a lot a lot of prayer but it became very clear and i will say every day since then it is reconfirmed for me mm-hmm. i call centricity it's like that perfect balance i loved being in a big machine but there were definitely issues i loved being an indie cuz i could just kind of do whatever i i felt i needed to do but there were issues <laughs> you know it's just you sure. it's just you doing the whole thing to be part of a team and this particular team of just phenomenal people 
uh, multiple of which have been on your podcast, are just, these are some of my favorite people in the world. And to get to come alongside and work with them with phenomenal artists, phenomenal writers, it was like, for me, this is that perfect scenario. I feel like I've been working 20 years to get to this. Wow. Well, that's that's a a big testament to where you're at. So talk a little bit about, because on a little bit of a side note, you talked about... um, how you'd occasionally have those times where you're like, if I wasn't doing music, what would I be doing? And from what I know, you kind of had a a pretty crazy rough period in your own personal health and your story. Do you feel like those two things went together? And do you care to kind of share a little bit of that story of what, what you've been through? Sure. Sure. I'll, I'll give you the, the most, uh, uh, truncated version of that, I think that I that I can, so I don't uh, bore the listeners. But uh, yeah, I just had had a couple like kick butt headaches, like the worst ones I'd ever had. And uh, one, you know, many years ago, and then nothing, and then four years later, I had had one again, way worse than migraine or anything like that, and ended up going to the hospital. They determined that there had been some bleeding in my brain, which is always awesome. Never, um, you never want to hear that. No. But, you know, they can't really diagnose that super well because they can't go poking around. So they just basically, from what they can tell from the shadows and different things, here's what we think it is. We think it's not life-threatening, but it is, you know, it could happen again. And, uh, man, my wife and I spent a lot of time just talking about it, praying, and we were like, man, we feel like you need to, you know, go in there and remove whatever this is. This th- these They thought there were some uh, bundle of weak capillaries, which, you know, not not dangerous, but kind of a pain in the butt. But it made the left side of my face go completely immobile for you know days and days, and wow. and my left hand too closed up for days. Oh, so so it was it was it was pretty crazy. But man, had amazing peace through the process. That was it was absolutely God. But man, we really felt strongly that I, we were supposed to do surgery, even though it's odd when you're trying to talk your surgeon into doing surgery because he's going, right. hey, I don't want to go in there and poke around because brain super. It was in a spot where it was affecting the motor skills of my left side of my face and my left hand, obviously. And he was just like, man, we could do some permanent damage. But we're like, we really feel like you're supposed to do it. So all that said, a few months later, we got a date on the books and they went in there and uh, what was supposed to be a four-hour surgery ended up being about 10. And uh, turned out that it wasn't what they thought. And what they did find in one of the brain folds there was an aneurysm that, you know, that had never ruptured. And so had they not gone in, they wouldn't have found it. They were able to remove it and uh, miraculously, um, you know, save my my life. Yeah. So I'm super grateful. But it really is things like that are, you know, those things that, that cause you to go, oh, wait, okay. So like I could die at any time. And, you know, you, you grow up kind of feeling immortal and you feel a little less though as you get older. But moments like that are really great because they're, they're kind of grounding and centering and sure. kind of bring you back to it. And so for me, it, it really is one of those reminders daily as I have a stripe on the side of my uh, bald head and uh, have some numbness in my, uh, my hands and, and, uh, and side of my face. It's one of those things where they're good reminders for me daily of, you know, God's goodness, but also of just, man, Life is short. Let's yeah. let's make the most of it. Let's do stuff that, that matters. Let's mm. be part of things that matter. Mm. So how has that situation kind of affected your work? Was it something where you were like, I, I kind of wanted to pull away? Or was it like, you know, how did it play into how you were working? You know, it, I mean, I think for me, if anything, it, it makes me more passionate about leaving a mark and, you know, a lasting something, lasting and being part of things that are big, bigger than me, and that have you know, that are not so temporal 
and, and caught up in that. And that's one of the great things about music. You know, for me, it's like we're doing music that impacts, changes lives um, with people that we love. That's the other thing, too. It definitely affected me very, very much, though, as far as who I'm going to work with. And it doesn't mean that I worked with bad people before, but it made me even more so of like, man, life is short. Hopefully, I'm only halfway through it um, here. But, um, but man, I only want to work with quality people that are, mm-hmm. that are just phenomenal people. There are three things that I kind of, that I look to, whether with people that I sign, people that I hire, you know, any of those kind of things, you know, I look for, well, one, I'll say this, this goes for writers as well. Sure. You know, so I mean, as I'm thinking about kind of what I look for, but it's like talent is like, that's the baseline. Mm-hmm. This, as we know, this town is full of talent. Yeah. So, yeah. so you have to start there. That's just a given. So the, my three things are beyond talent. You know, it's like, I look for somebody that's got drive and work ethic, you know, and is like, they're just, they're going to do whatever they need to do. That doesn't mean that they burn the candle at both ends and they don't have a life because I want, want people to have a life. I want to have a life. Um, but I want I want drive and determination, not just somebody that feels entitled and feels like it's just gonna you know all needs to be served up to them. I want people that have like a great attitude and are just like yeah whatever you know whatever I need to do you know and not hey this is not on my job description or you didn't sign me for this or you know whatever I I love great attitude just somebody that's like and it doesn't mean you can't fake it all the time but there are times to fake it you know there are times to suck it up and and just be that. And then teachable. Man, I need people that are willing to say, hey, okay, I can learn something from you. And, and they're not always right. The thing I talk about all the time is just know which hills to die on. Mm. You know, that's the biggest thing. I always can sniff out somebody that, whether it's an employee or, or a writer or an artist, if they're dying on every hill, no, 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 this is a hit. I don't know your problem. This is, this is perfect just the way it is. I'm like, I never know. Then I'm going to not trust anything that they say you know, if they do that. But likewise, if somebody comes to me and goes, and I push back a little bit and say, hey, what if that bridge did this a little bit? What if you did that? And they're like, man, I, I get that, but here's what I was thinking. And here's why I did it. Man, for me, I'll take that all day long. Sure. You know, I, I, it's just that whole thing. So for me, teachable is just that whole thing because I want to be teachable. I want to be all those things. So. Well, that's good. I just learned something right now. So that's awesome. So let's transition into some of the more... Uh, kind of practical things. I'm sure this is a different music industry than it was 20 years ago. And namely, in the music publishing space, streaming has kind of changed everything. Yeah. How has that affected your job and really affected the role of music publishing in the industry? Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. The good news is people are consuming more music than ever in more ways than have ever been available. And that's awesome. It's great. People, it is, it's interesting. I was talking with someone this morning and we were talking about like recreational listening, what so many people used to do back in the day where you just sit and you just go, oh, I'm just listening. You're sitting in front of the stereo and you're reading the liner notes or you're whatever. You're just kind of doing that. And that is the activity. Now, you know, music is more of a soundtrack to, Mm. to our lives. And I think that's not a bad thing. I think the cool thing about that is, I mean, I'm a movie junkie. I, I yeah. love movies. Pretty much my favorite thing, if I, you know, as far as from a recreation standpoint. Yeah, favorite movie? Uh, yeah, Die Hard is all my right, favorite so movie quick. Of, of, That's of, awesome. of, all, of, all, of all time. Best, yeah. best Christmas movie of it, all time. It totally is. Thank you. Have, <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you said that. Um, it is. I just, you know, it changed the face of uh, yeah. action movies as far as I'm concerned. So, but anyway. I love that. It's one of those things. So I love the idea of music being a soundtrack to life because I think about that kind of thing. And so I do. We, we consume it more. We have it. I love the streaming services as a consumer. 
I love them. I love that you can create playlists and you can create all these things and you can have access to songs that you might not have ever listened to, uh, at least on purpose, even though you go, oh yeah, I love that song. I think we've stepped into it. First step into it was iTunes because you could all of a sudden go in there and, and pick a la carte and you could go maybe pick up some songs that you loved that you would never buy that whole album. But now even more so, ones that you wouldn't maybe pay 99 cents or $1.29 for, you go, yeah, I'm going to stream that right now. And so I think that that's a great thing as a consumer. I also think it's a great thing as a publisher because people are consuming more songs than they ever have. So the trick is, is, you know, the part that you know we have to wrestle with is just let's get those rates up. You know, the rates are decent on the label side. And uh, for the publishers and the writers, we got to get them up. We got to get them to a better spot. And so, you know, we're constantly, I say we, just publishers as a, as a collective body are constantly lobbying for that and working toward that. And we're going to get there. You know, I know we're going to get there. Things are already better, you know, than they have been. And so it's one of those things where I, I think the cool part is there are so many options now. What you can't do, that, you know, speaking of the old school days... It used to matter if you had track seven on an album. Mm. You used to go, oh man, yeah, we got a cut. And you'd be, you'd be ecstatic because you're like, I bet that record's going to sell, you know, a couple hundred thousand units or maybe it'll be gold or, you know, platinum, you know, if it happened to be one of the, the rare ones. But it's like, you know, you would make the same money as the single did other than radio airplay. You'd make the same money because the only way people could get it was buying that album. So your 9.1 cents was weighed just the same as, as somebody else's. And so that was that used to be a great thing. Now, if you have track seven, and I'm just picking that as a sure. random one, but if you have track seven on a record, it's not the one that anyone wants to stream or download, and it's not going to be a radio single, and it's not a great song for licensing, for you know, sync and film and TV, and it's not a great worship song, then you're out of luck because that record might sell 10,000 units or less. You know, and well, if it's doing really good nowadays, you're going to sell a hundred thousand. Right, exactly, and exactly. Ten cents on that. There's usually mm. two or three writers on a song. Right. you're talking two to three grand, and then you split that all up. Yep, you're not buying a new house. Not, you're not <laughs> getting rich fast. I think a right. lot of people have this perception. Yes, of what a songwriter is, especially if they're winning Billboard awards and CSAC yep. awards and Grammy awards and all this stuff. Having a song on a record that's selling 100,000 records, which, by the way, there's a lot of people winning Grammys on 150, 200,000 selling records. Yes, there are. <laughs> and when you actually put that on paper, what does that equate to? What does that buy you? It might buy you part of a car. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. You might be able to pay the mechanic yeah. to fix your car. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it really is. But you know that it is also on the flip side very possible to make a, a good living, you know, doing writing songs and doing those things. And so that is the trick. It's one, it's a numbers game. It's definitely about, you got to have a lot. You can't just bank on, hey, I wrote a song and it's a hit and there we go, you know, cash out and hang out in the Bahamas. Yeah, unless you just happen to have a massive pop smash, maybe. Sure. But, but uh, other than that, I mean, it's just about, you know, repetition and it's about having radio singles. That's, you know, a big, big driver. It's about having songs that can work for sync. It's about having a big worship song. It's about having, you know, anything that's going to generate revenue outside of just the normal the normal avenues of mechanical from record sales. Yeah. Well, you hit on a really big point that it is it is a numbers game, and I don't just want to gloss over that because I don't think this is why there's so few commercial songwriters mm -hmm. out there because most most songwriters give up when they're faced with the sheer number yeah. of songs that you have to write to be a professional songwriter. It's absolutely true. Because even if you're having a 
let's just throw out a number. If fifty percent of your songs get cut, let's say as one yeah. out one out every two, which is a pretty good rate. That's a phenomenal rate. <laughs> so that means that the other half, you're spending half of your days on songs that might not even get cut, and you have to be writing at least a hundred or so. Exactly. I mean, think about that in a normal, in a a quote unquote normal job, uh, you wouldn't want to go, Hey, I'm only getting paid for 50% of my time. You know, no, nobody wants to do that. So it is a tricky thing. And further to that, not only is it that barrier to getting into, you know, to the space of being a pro writer, but even beyond that, something that I definitely preach over the years to writers is this, this idea of that, that quantity thing is a good thing. Now, you obviously want quality as well. I'm, I'm not saying forsake one, you know, one for the other. However, it's funny because, so what we'll do in a, in a standard publishing deal is we have a, a minimum delivery re- requirement or whatever. It's written various different ways, but ultimately you have a minimum number of songs that, that you have to turn in each year as a staff writer. And that number is usually, it's usually around 12, some, give or take, sometimes 10, sometimes 15, just depending on, and sometimes more. But 12 is a good, good, easy one. It's assuming it's one whole song um, every month. And, um, and that would mean, so if you're writing with, if it's a three-way co-write, then that's one third of a song. So you need to write two more of those in order to hit that number. Well, the point to that is that that's your minimum. That's your minimum. And I know writers that literally only hit their minimum. And I'll tell you that most of the phenomenally successful writers way overshoot that. Because they instead of instead of being that in that that mentality of saying, let me just give just the bare minimum that I have to give to my publisher, you have to go, man, I'm partnering with them. They I let me give them as much to work with as much ammunition as possible. The more you give them, the more opportunities, the more, you know, if we're going to do the Vegas thing, it's, you know, the more pulls on on the old, uh, you know, slot machine to, yeah. to go, hey, because it is a gamble, all, all these things. But you're the more times that you take a shot at it, the better. You know what's funny? For the first three years that I had a, uh, a publishing deal as a staff songwriter, I didn't even know there was a minimum song requirement because <laughs> you were just cranking them out i didn't i just didn't know yeah so i'd almost venture to say if if there's a songwriter coming to you looking for a publishing deal and they're saying hey what's your minimum if they're asking that question you're probably totally not oh. writing enough songs <laughs> uh, absolutely absolutely no it really is i mean you have to be in that mentality of here's the thing that i will say and, and this goes to a lot of different things in, in our business and just life in general but man you've got to have an abundance mentality can't have that scarcity mentality where you're thinking, oh, there's only so many songs that I can write. You know, there's only so many great ideas. You got to trust there's a lot. So abundance. Keep writing those songs. Keep putting them out there. Crank those things out and trust that the more you do it, the more times that you do it, the more you flex that muscle because it is a muscle. It the is. better you get at it. I mean, that's that's why you can, you know, crank out the number of, of great songs that you do. It didn't start that way. No, you know? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So what's really funny too for our listeners and that's funny you just said that because chad was actually my first official publisher Mm -hmm. when i moved to nashville a moment as this young artist grappling it trying to make ends meet and i had this as most deals go nowadays when you're an artist you sign with a label and you typically sign you know publishing as part of it too so that was kind of our arrangement and i was probably that guy that chad was just talking about that (laughs) i wasn't writing enough songs yeah wasn't probably your dream songwriter to work with. But you know, here's the thing I love though. I will say this. When a staff, you know, is writing, yeah, I want as many as possible. When you're an artist, 
It's like, yeah, but I don't tend to hold you to. In fact, there usually aren't. I can't think of a time when there's been a minimum in because in those agreements there isn't one. Sure. Because it's like, hey, write for your record. You're going to do the thing. Yeah. But yeah, I do always look for those artist writers that are writing above and beyond because it's like, oh, okay, right. let's see what else we can do. You discovered you had a passion for it beyond even your own artistry, though. Right, and that was my actual passion, and that is my <laughs> actual passion, which is why I hung up that hat. And now my passion is just great songs. Whoever cuts them, cuts them. Amen. And you know, hopefully, they'll get heard and played by the most amount of people possible. So yes, I, I would love to talk to kind of new songwriters out there who might be listening to this show. Yeah, if they're coming to you. And looking for their first publishing deal, looking for their first start, because most of them start, you know, like anybody does, they start writing songs in their bedroom. Yeah. And it's just them. They maybe don't even know what co-writing is. So what is your thing that you would say, if I'm a new writer that comes up to you and says, I have these songs, I want to become a professional songwriter, I want my first publishing deal, where do I start? Yeah, it's, it's a great, great uh, question. Man, first I would say, know your strengths. Know what you do you know, hone your craft. And what I would say for strengths, that would be, hey, are you a great lyricist? Are you a great melody person? Do you, do you come up with just brilliant ideas? Do you just have those million dollar ideas? Just know where your space is in there. Are you a killer track creator? There, a, a producer that builds amazing tracks that are inspiring or are going to draw a great song out of someone. Just know what your thing is because I think so often people come in and they say, yeah, and I write this and I can write that and I do that. And, I'm, and it's like, you know, you're probably not awesome at all of those things, you know, so it's hard for us to know. And then I would say then, if you're going to send stuff to us, pick your top three songs, your best three songs. You know, we definitely don't want 20 songs that are like, ah, oh, and here's this and here's that. And, you know, you probably don't have 20 great songs, most likely. The, you know, just just truth be told, uh, unless you're just, you know, a phenom that, you know, maybe you maybe you do already have that, you know, as a new new writer. But most likely, just... Pick those three that you're like, man, I think these are the things, and find a way to get to us. It is a little tricky, and that's the thing, too, that I would say, you know, there's the whole unsolicited material, and most publishers won't, won't accept that, and usually we don't, but it's pretty easy to get, be able to be solicited, you know? Try and figure out a way to, to reach out, whether you have, you know, you probably know somebody that does know somebody that can get to us. You know, you can talk to your PRO. As a writer, you can connect with BMI, ASCAP, or CSEC, whichever one you're signed to. You know, if your stuff's great, they're going to be willing to go out on a limb and come to us and, and present it to us. So there are, there are various ways to do that. You can meet us at, at events, you know, things like Immerse that we were just part of. You know, there, there are all kinds of things. Seth's got his event coming up soon. It's like that's going to be the, the, another one of those opportunities where you're going to have the chance to be able to connect with writers, artists, publishers, and, uh, you know, show them what you got. But put your yeah. f- best foot forward, I would say. Yeah, you got to get out of your room and just put yourself out <laughs> Out there. of your that's, room. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that's the power of, of live events, I believe. And that's yes. I, I'm, I'm convinced that, yeah, just getting in the room with people. It's not even when you go to an event like Immerse or Music Makers Boot Camp, the content is half of it. But the big piece is those relationships yep. that you make because, you know, you never know. That, that is kind of an acceptable place to hand out demos. Yep. Because that's, oh, yeah, it absolutely is. As industry pros, you're there to help mentor, and yeah. you're, you're there because you want to be there. And yeah. you're, you're not there because, you know, I'm not getting paid by, by Immerse right. to show up. I'm there because I want to be there. Yeah, 
And it's part of the value that you get as attendees for coming to those things, is to have that access. So that's good. So my company kind of deals particularly in pretty niche format, niche of a format, in in that we write very targeted songs towards radio, and that's been a lot of our kind of our success and, and what we've done well at. What if there's a writer out there that maybe they don't like listening to the radio? Yeah. Because I do believe that you have to actually like it if you're going <laughs> to yes, be successful <laughs> at it. There's yes. a lot of people out there that are like, man, I don't really like radio, but I know you need to have songs on it. It's like, well, just don't do it then right. if you don't like it. you know. So what are some other avenues that writers can kind of get their stuff out there through? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean... Here, here's the thing. I'm going to go counter to what I said earlier and, and after I was kind of dogging track seven. There is a place for track seven. I mean, there is a place for those songs that people just... It's funny. I've got a writer that I was just talking to the other day and going, man, you, you love to write those songs that people like go, oh, that's my favorite. And I'm like, that's awesome. Let's also write those big, massive hits too. Let's do both of those. You know, And he's actually capable of, of both and, and, and can do that. But I was encouraging him in that space. But there is a place for that, just creating those great art, those, those heartfelt songs that can go on a record. Obviously, as we've talked about a little bit, there are songs that you can write for film and TV. There are people that don't write because that's a very specific art. It's a very specific thing. There are gonna, there are always random songs by any given artist that, that could work for that space, but the ones that are targeted at that and the people that really know how to write for film and TV licensing, I mean, it, it's an art, you know? It's it's saying these, um, saying something while saying nothing, you know? And, and it's about vibe and it's about, these are general rules. I mean, it's not always the case, but I think one thing that uh, somebody... Uh, who definitely knows, uh, had, had mentioned to me within the last couple of years, they love those vague aspirational songs. So just songs that aren't really about anything, but they're super they're inspirational and they make you, you know, aspire to something and you're like, yeah. yeah, I feel good. I don't even know what I feel right now, but it's like, <laughs> and those can fit with a whole lot of other things. So that's kind of the fun thing. There are, there are things there for that. Obviously, as we, as we mentioned in our genre, you know, there's worship music, which is its own whole separate thing. Those don't necessarily have to be radio songs. Now, we love it when they are because that gets them out to the church in a, in a hurry. But you can write amazing songs that can grassroots permeate the church in a massive way. And they're being put in print and they're being put up on lyric videos and there are all these other things. And so they can generate revenue. And it may not be a commercial radio song, but it's still good art. Sure. So find what you love yes. and just get good in it. Yes. So what are some things that, because uh, you've worked primarily in the Christian music genre, what are some of the big changes that you've seen in the 20 years that you've been working in it? Man, um, I guess I would say the rise of CCLI. Um, what is that for people who don't know? Yeah, yeah. It, it is, uh, originally I think it was Christian Copyright Licensing International, Um but I think now it's uh, Church Copyright Licensing International, which it should be. Um, but it's a, it's a company out of Portland, Oregon. Well, they, they've made up for the fact that churches and, well, and specifically churches, are exempt from paying performance royalties. So they don't have to pay ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC when they perform your songs on Sunday mornings or for any kind of worship service. However, CCLI came along and came into existence because they realized, hey, you're putting the lyrics somewhere, you're projecting the lyrics up on a screen, or you're putting them in a bulletin or wherever, and that is uh, something that needs to be licensed. And so CCLI is basically the uh, aggregator of all those licenses. People pay them, churches pay them a license, and they pay all of us as publishers and writers as people use those songs. And so 
that has become a multi-multi-million dollar a year revenue source for for our industry. For writers that weren't, I mean, gosh, 20 years ago, so many of the people that were writing worship music were, you know, on records that maybe sold a couple thousand units, if that. And so they weren't seeing any money, but their songs were being sung all around the world. And so now they're actually seeing revenue from those songs that are being sung. And so it's been interesting, as CCLI has risen, we've watched mechanical royalties from sales of albums going down, and we've watched other things going down. It has been the one area that has has risen, and it's been unique. It's unique to our Christian genre, obviously. They've now kind of plateaued from what we can tell, but it's still very significant revenue. You know, that probably has been the, the biggest thing that would be unique to the, to the Christian market. Mm, that's interesting. So... As we're kind of wrapping up, you're a music publisher and you've worked with lots of long-lasting songwriter careers in your time in Nashville. What is the one thing or a few things that make a songwriter be able to, number one, create a career out of their passion, out of writing songs? And the second part of the question is, how do they make that last? Man, I would say, yeah, there there are a couple things. I would say, first and foremost be someone that people want to get in the room with, Mm. you know? That's one of those deals, you know? It's like, I think about the guys and girls that are best at it, and all of you are great about getting in a room. People love to be with you, you know? It it doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but it has to be that thing where there's, there's that energy, and there's that collaborative thing that's happening, and you draw better things. You make them better. You make those artists. You make the other writers better. And then, obviously, yeah, deliver the hits. But but once again, I said that you know, like I said earlier, that's the that's the baseline. You got to be able to yeah, crank out great great art. But I think it's that thing that time and time again, it's the people that people go, man, I just love it. I got in there. I got energy. We got a great song. So I would say that, first and foremost, is the thing. Be someone that people want to get in the room with, that they're not going to see your number pop up on the phone and go, oh, geez, you know, and, and not want to answer. Not wanna, they, want, they want to know, hey, what's up? Let's get together. Let's, let's write a hit. I would say the other thing is stay fresh. Keep flexing that muscle. Fight apathy. Fight that the jadedness that can happen in this business. I've watched really talented people get super jaded and just kind of, you know, and, and so I think there are people... I would look at somebody, you know, if we're going to just talk about a staff writer, for example, boy, Tony Wood, that dude's a pro and he's been doing it for a long time. He consistently has big songs on big records and it's across the board. I mean, his, I've never worked with Tony directly, though he's a friend. I, I love him and, and I'm, I'm a fan, but so I don't know all his, you know, all his accolades. I uh, couldn't rattle them off for you. But I mean, he has been across the board from the, you know, the extreme types of artists that he's worked with, and he consistently d- delivers something great. So I think, I think that's the thing. He's stayed fresh. He's stayed current. He hasn't been like, oh, I don't like that new stuff that's going on. I don't know. Like, you know, no, you have to continue to evolve and grow. And you can do that without sacrificing art. Mm. Well, that's pure wisdom. I think uh, a lot of songwriters out there will get a ton out of this interview. So thank you so much, Chad, for making the time to do this today. And My pleasure. To impart your wisdom. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been the Full Circle Music Show. I'm Seth Mosley, and thank you so much for listening. We hope you've got a lot out of this interview with Chad Segura today, music publisher. We'd love it if you'd head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. We're also very proud to announce we have just launched the Full Circle Academy. This is a resource for anybody wanting to get better 
as a producer or as a songwriter or as an artist. So to find out more about that, you can go to thefullcircleacademy.com. It's thefullcircleacademy.com. And we have a free ebook for you there of why we think you should stop doing song demos. We have a free ebook for you there. It's at thefullcircleacademy.com. You can check it out, sign up for that, get the ebook, get our newsletter, and we will send you info and different resources on things that you can do to start bettering your craft as a producer or as a songwriter. The show is produced by Full Circle Music with editing help from Jericho Scroggins. We'll see you next week.